This episode of the Pursuit Podcast is presented by Fisher Skis. Oh my goodness, it's Wednesday, which means it's time for a brand new episode of the Pursuit Podcast. You know, your favorite podcast, God's favorite influencer here, Mr. Adam X, and I have a different episode for you today and they're all different but this one's different because it's serious usually i'm just having coffee talk with some professional athletes this week we dive a little deeper we get into some some i don't know i don't want to say uncomfortable territory because it's all comfortable because we're learning we're listening we're learning we're growing but how this came about is i listened to a speech it's on YouTube. I'll put it down below from Sophia Schwartz called Finding Meaning in the Mountains. And I said, Sophia, I love this. I love this talk. It's 20 minutes. It's on YouTube. And I said, do you, let's 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 have an episode. Let's talk about it. Sophia's been on the show. She's a Fisher athlete, rock star. So much fun. And we get serious. And she said, yeah, I would love to. But if I'm going to do that, I need to bring my two friends in because this is the importance. So she brings Laura in. She brings Vanessa in. And it is just a round table talk. And it's honestly one of the most favorite episodes I've ever recorded because I think there's just so much to learn here. There's so much to absorb. And that's why I did it. I don't I don't. The whole point is learning and growing and expanding. And hopefully this is the most I talk the entire episode. Again, a little note here. I'm going to break it off into two parts. One, because it's a lot of information to absorb. Two, we went a little long, which I think is cool, but I broke it up. It'll be about two 45-minute episodes. Of course, we'll have some shout-out to our sponsors in there. Full transparency, everyone in this conversation skis and rides for Fisher Skis. So shout out to them, to hooking people up who are great humans. But I just wanna get that out there. I'll do a little bit about it later. But yeah, this is just so much fun. It's so neat. They introduce themselves in the beginning, so I don't feel I need to. But it's my friends Sophia, Laura, and Vanessa. Beautiful minds, beautiful humans, all from different backgrounds, finding meaning in the mountains. Enjoy. Um, I'm happy to start. Hi, my name is Sophia Schwartz and I'm a professional skier here based out of Jackson, Wyoming. Um, and I have the absolute pleasure of getting to do this podcast with my two best friends, Laura Gaylord and Vanessa Chavarriaga. And we're all here in Jackson, hanging out in my living room. Um, and yeah, we like to ski steep things. I love to hit jumps. I was a mogul skier back in the day. Um, and we kind of connected with Adam about a talk I gave at Wysaw this fall, which is the Wyoming Snow and Avalanche Workshop about finding meaning in the mountains and how I use that to kind of guide my avalanche decision-making. And Laura and Vanessa were so, so integral in my process of making that talk that when Adam asked if we would do a podcast, I couldn't imagine doing it without them. And I will pass it to Vanessa for her own introduction. Thanks, so. Hi, everybody. My name is Vanessa Chavarriaga Posada. I am a Colombian immigrant currently living in Jackson. Um, this is my fourth season skiing, so I don't have a traditional background in skiing, but I'm stoked to take up space as a woman of color, professional athlete, ski mountaineer, 
And yeah, I love um, skiing. I'm a writer. I do some advocacy work and just really like disrupting white spaces. So here we are. <laughs> I'll we pass it over to Laura. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Laura Gaylord. I... Oh God, what do I do? I do a lot of things in the winter, it feels like. I moved to Jackson from Colorado and my very first season here, I met Sophia um, at a bar, which is a weird <laughs> thing to say about like your friend, but um, that's cool. And I started working for a local nonprofit that's now called Coombs Outdoors. And that's kind of guided a lot of um, my lifestyle here in Jackson. That's how I met uh, Vanessa, mostly just because people I worked with at Coombs and around Coombs was like talking about this cool girl, Vanessa. And I was like, who is that? And then one of my coworkers ran the Tijon Crest Trail with her. And I was like, what? I need to meet this girl. <laughs> um, and then have since had the pleasure of getting to ski with her. Um, and for the past three years, I've also been a backcountry ski guide and avalanche instructor. So kind of love just being outside and um, getting to help and teach people to be in the mountains. Yeah. I hope that someday I have like a grain of like the three of you in me to like, I want to help people get outside and like enjoy things. Cause I'm just like a curmudgeon at this point. I'm working <laughs> on it, but I'm not. Uh, my first question is, and I'm going to try to direct, there's going to be some general ones, but Vanessa, what drew you to the mountains? Cause like skiing is scary. It's intimidating. You've clearly learned it as an adult. Why? They're terrifying. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I feel like I've always been in the mountains. So I was born in a really mountainous region of Colombia in the cloud forests. And just like all of my early memories are being outside. And then I immigrated to a really cold place, Michigan, and spent most of my like teenage years inside dreading the cold. And I think that I just like grew up with so many immigrant expectations of like being perfect and working hard and having to like be the best at everything that skiing sort of opened up this like freedom for me of like, oh, like I didn't learn how to ski when I was two. I can't be perfect by the standards of perfection in skiing. And so I got to make it my own. And it was one of the first sports that I tried where I like really didn't feel afraid, but just felt like so much joy and have really been chasing like that childhood joy ever since. And yeah, I think the fact that like most of my family has never even seen snow makes it sort of this like really mystical, magical thing that I like still can't believe is real in my own life. Yeah, that I mean, I can't I like pretend I can relate, but I can't. But that was skiing for me. It was I grew up playing basketball. I didn't put skis on until I was 18 years old which isn't young or isn't old, but it's not like didn't start at two years old. And for me, basketball was just this lane that I had to be in. Like mm -hmm. we went to practice and then skiing was just like, you can do whatever you want, wherever you want, as long as you kind of do it safely. And that just like, it was a baffling thing to me. And like my parents never skied, my family never did it. So it was like, again, my situation is not the same as yours, but the freedom aspect is the same. And I still get that when I go out there and I just like exist in mountains and I'm trying to get better at existing in mountains versus just always having an objective or having a mission or like sometimes, and I'm not getting younger and I'm definitely not getting better at skiing. 
that like existing is all I need to do. And like, as far as like when we talked about, so this all came from Sophia's talk. It was this whole thing. You guys should watch it. It's on YouTube. I'll put the link in the comments, but it's called finding meaning in the mountains. And that like, when I, you asked what I took away from that, that was something that I took away was like, I don't need to like do these big things. I need to exist more in the mountains. But how did how did this whole talk come about? How did finding meaning in the mountains come to life? I'm sure they asked you to speak, but like why finding meaning in the mountains? So the talk really started on the skin track and in the gym um, for the last, I don't know, three or four years, every Tuesday night in the winter, Laura and I go to the gym together and we call it barbell therapy and all sorts of good jokes from, you know, getting strong physically and emotionally to picking up heavy weights and heavy feelings, you know, <laughs> they're endless. Um, but I think it was like during a season where the year before I had gotten to ski a lot of really cool lines, like things just kind of aligned weather wise. And I was really stepping out into being like a ski mountaineer and I got to ski like a lot of dream lines. And I was like, woo, like stoked. And the next season it was January and it was kind of a spooky persistent slab. And everything I saw in the snow report was telling me that it wasn't safe yet. And I saw a lot of my friends and a lot of people I looked up to and admired like skiing things. And so every Tuesday night I would go to the gym with Laura and like try not to pull my hair out and have like sort of this like stomach grinding, like I just want to get so bad, but I know it's not safe like moment. And so I think like through those sessions, we really like talked through it of like, why do you want to ski it? Is it for you? Is it for, you know, the societal pressures to like prove yourself in a place like Jackson? Is it, you know, kind of digging into that in a really just like authentic way. And then I think that has so much become my skin track conversations, I think with Vanessa and with Laura and so many of our good friends, the, it's cool that it has this like really authentic of like talking about the thing you're doing while you're doing the thing um, processing. And so last year I put a lot of time into like really sitting and really reflecting on that and so I had all these ideas percolating in my head and I thought about writing an article I like to write but I was like mm, it just feels more engaging as a talk where can I give a talk and I had attended saw um, the last couple of years and so I actually pitched it to them and they were kind of like um sure like sounds cool <laughs> like see what happens and sure you like live locally we don't have to like buy you a flight or anything like you could talk um and I really pitched it to be like okay now I have a deadline and I have to figure these things out for myself um and so then I kind of like sat down and talked to friends went on walks really like wrestled with it and sort of took all of these like separate conversations and bite-sized pieces um into something yeah that I think I'm really proud of and kind of like a coherent um, and more like, uh, I don't know, presentation that I think like outlines a very different way of looking in the mountains than I see often represented in conversations about risk. Do you think, so I, let me ask this, you live in Jackson, you live in the Tetons. Were there people getting the lines that you wanted to ski, but wouldn't because of your, let's call it risk management does that question make sense? I don't know how else to like ask that yeah. question. Every day, every day. 
almost every day someone skis something that I would be like, oh, I want to ski that today, but I, I can't. And I'll pass it to Laura to tell a story too, but it really stuck with me kind of like she um, talks about seeing lines on mountains and the difference between now and then. So I'll pass it to her for for that story when she moved here. Yeah, this I was just thinking about that too. And I think I think I can remember that exact moment too at the gym when Sophia was like, I they skied it, I want to go ski it. And I was like, we can just be patient, you know? And when I moved to Jackson from Colorado, I had already been backcountry skiing and Colorado notoriously has a lot um, more dangerous and scary snowpack with that's has a lot more persistent weak layers that could persist all season long. Um, and we moved to Jackson cause it snows a little bit more here. <laughs> um, and those tend to go away earlier. And I think the snowpack here really lends itself to getting away with it. And I didn't know that was a possibility when I moved here. And so I moved here and I looked up at lines. I remember seeing people skiing Cody peak, which is just South of Jacksonville mountain resort. You can access it through gates or the east face of Taylor, I distinctly remember, which is a, a really big line on Teton Pass that's actually fairly accessible um, from the road. And then it's a big east-facing line, a big face that is has cliff bands kind of in it. And that, to me, from Colorado, was like a springtime line, a once-in-a-season line. Um, and people were skiing at mid-season. And I remember looking at those lines and thinking, wow, I just want to learn what those people know. Like I, how did they know that that was safe to ski today? Like looking at the forecast, how, what knowledge brought them there? And then now after I've gained more experience in the backcountry and know the area and the, the risk taking culture here, I look at a lot of those lines and I think, wow, I know so much more than they know. And, and obviously that's not the case. That's a very general or always the case. It's a very generalization of everyone. And I don't, I can't judge anyone's tracks of what homework they've put into it. And, um, but I think my takeaway is that I, I have come to a place where I know the risks that are involved with skiing lines like that, when there are problems like that on the table, whereas before, um, even when I was backcountry skiing in Colorado, I don't even know that I was accepting the risks I was taking or even knew I was taking those risks. And I think that has a lot to do with, um, now, now I'm going to go on a ramble here, but <laughs> please do. <laughs> no, this is great. This is great. Um, is I think we talk a lot about risk tolerance. Um, and I think a better way I'm starting to come around to saying like risk, risk acceptance. And this is actually something I've heard from Sophia is, um, and you probably would say it a lot more eloquently than me, but a lot of us have the same risk tolerance. No one is going to stand on top of a line and be like, my tolerance is I would accept a D2 avalanche here. Right. Or something like no one, our risk tolerance is kind of like, I don't want to injure myself and be out for the rest of the season. I don't, want to be buried in an avalanche. And so I think it's more of like risk acceptance um, is maybe another way to say it, but then I would even take it further and just call it like risk assessment. Um, and I definitely think there's people that, that are accepting and know very well the risks that they're taking. And I think there's a lot of people, myself included at times, 
that don't even know like the risks we're taking. Yeah, I think ignorance is bliss is like the easiest way to sum that up. And I it's mid-February and you know what that means. It means you're finally getting out to those backcountry lines you've been looking at. You're starting your missions. Again, important episode, thinking about that when the right thing and when the wrong timing doesn't line up, you don't do it. But you're getting ready for it. You better have the right gear. And here's what I'm here to tell you about. I'm here to tell you about the Freerider Pro 34 Plus from our friends over at Deuter. I can hit every buzzword, you know, PFC free, and they give a shit about our environment. But here's the thing. I use this bag and I love it. They have store dry storage for your skin. So, you know, East Coasters, if their skins are wet, you chuck them in, all your gear doesn't get wet. Separate bag for safety. You can hold your skis in an A-frame. You can hold them sideways. You can put a snowboard on there. You can put snowshoes on there. 34 liter bag with a roll top of 10 extra liters of storage. Go to your local dealer, ask for the Deuter Freerider Pro 34 Plus. Again, DM me, I'll tell you about it. I don't even, I like, I use this thing. It is so good. Every photo you see of me, I've got it on my back. It is an essential tool for maneuvering the backcountry safely. Has all your gear, all your storage. They do it all. They've been making backpacks longer than we've all been alive, and they're doing it for a reason, and that's for you, for the planet, keeping us safe, keeping our gear functioning. Deuter, check them out, guys. It's not that hard. Check it out. Support brands that support us. What a concept. Have you just wanted to try something new? Get your friends, maybe, who've never explored a mountain out to see what you see on your skis and snowboards? Have them try the fastest growing winter sport in North America, snow go. This thing is, if you can ride a bike, you can ride a snow go. And you can ride hard terrain quickly. What that means is there's not much learning curve. You can get better, sure. But you will be able to get down blues with ease within five minutes of getting on this thing. Mountain domination for everyone. The snow go bike allows anyone at any age to enjoy the mountain slopes within minutes without taking an expensive ski lesson. You know how it goes. If you love riding bikes, you're gonna love riding a snow go. Here's the thing. You can rent these things just about everywhere in North America. I know if you're a Western New Yorker, we've got them at Swain Mountain now. So check them out, tell them I sent you, try it guys. That's all I'm asking you to do. Try this thing because it's going to blow your mind at how much fun this is. And, you know, bike season's right around the corner. So why not maybe get get a little prepped? Literally, it's like riding a bike. It's so much fun. SNO-GO.US. Try it. You're going to love it. And, you know, I'm a victim of it. I'm sure you guys all have been, have been. And it's it's a weird weird might be the wrong term, but it's. We're just skiing. I think we've like done this this thing that we just have fun doing and we just you can just walk into the woods or up a mountain and put yourself in like an extremely dangerous situation. But it's so accessible, but also the narrative is skiing is safe. Like that's what that's what's always blown my mind with skiing. 
Like this is this dangerous sport. Snowboarding is dangerous. Skiing is dangerous. Even just going down a groomer is terrifying for like, like it's not a safe thing to do. You can do it safely, but like I, I've never understood why skiing gets this safe narrative and correct you guys are all looking at me like i'm an insane human right now but like people who ride motorcycles everyone's grandma is like those are dangerous like yeah motorcycles are dangerous skiing they're like have fun and you're like well i'm like i guess skiing is dangerous and i'm not saying we shouldn't do it but i'm tired of the narrative being and again correct me if i'm wrong but that it's safe and I also think that's part of the reason why a lot of us like to do it. And I think there is something to that risk taking that brings us close, closer to feeling like we live a more fulfilled life of if everyone just chose the safest option, like we'd all just be sitting at home on the couch. Yeah, I agree with that. Because in some ways too, I think like, skiing has made me brave right and like acknowledging risk and acknowledging like honestly the world is not safe you know um we're going to talk about avalanches up here um the times that i have had to call for help have been around sexual assault and violence and police brutality and things that are really scary and dangerous um that exists in the world too, you know, I think getting in cars and I think that like taking off the like blinders that like the padded safety, right? Cause so much of my, especially I think as like, a white affluent woman has been padded from safety, you know, and like puts me in this space. And I think skiing taught me a little bit about like how to be rebellious and how to be brave and to like take those to like the other parts of my life in a way that is like, I think also circling back into of like, when do I need to be brave? When do I not need to be brave? But in a way that is like the most, I think I find in meaning is skiing mm -hmm. is like who skiing has enabled me to become outside of it through acknowledging real hazard and naming it as real hazard. Yeah, and I think it's funny because for black and brown communities, skiing is not safe. Like it's never been safe, right? It almost feels like you're stepping into the belly of the beast of like, this is the most prestigious, affluent white space you can possibly be in. It's one of the most expensive sports and like the culture is so exclusive and yeah, I think what actually drew me to the backcountry and finding partners like Laura and Sophia is my just, I didn't want to be in resorts because it felt so unsafe. I didn't want to share a gondola with people. I didn't want to share a lift with people because it was all white men who I've had very bad experiences with in the past, right? And like, I, I carry that generational trauma of like knowing that this isn't a safe space. And yeah, I think when I think about assessing risk in the back country or in the front country at the resort, I'm thinking about like, okay, what microaggressions am I going to get today? Like wh which white man is going to tell me to smile? Who's going to tell me that I don't belong? And it's, it's very like, yeah, it's, it's both like implicit and explicit. Right. And so I think it's just a reminder of like people of color, not only don't belong, but these spaces like skiing was made to exclude people of color. And so when I'm breaking that social norm of 
doing something I shouldn't do and going somewhere I shouldn't be, I met with a lot of resistance. And it's really important to, yeah, I think surround myself with people who understand that as one of the hazards and can also stand up for me in spaces where I necessarily can't. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a very scary place. And like I, it's very hard. It's not hard, but these are always like awkward conversations, right? Like I'm a blonde hair, blue eyed, white male. So like all I can do and all, I mean, there's plenty I can do and that's a whole nother podcast, but I always say, shut up and listen. Like when, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but these stories, like those three snippets that you guys just told are something that I never have to think about. It's nothing that's ever crossed my mind when like going to a ski resort. And that's such a, like, I'm not trying to be woe is me. I'm not sure like by any means here, but like, that's a, like, it's an insane thing to think about that you guys just go and do outdoor activities and have so many more barriers, boundaries than just me for going to do something as arguably dumb as skiing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have two kind of thoughts on that. What I think too, like give yourself some credit X. Cause I think that like, I don't know, we got to go to an event together um, and I walked in the room and I looked around and there were zero women. Right. And it was like a moment of sort of like laughing of being like, Oh, right. I've worked so hard in my community to like start breaking down barriers. And there's like white women there that now I put a lot of energy of being like trying to be more intersectional and be like, okay, like where are the women of color that I walked into that space? And I was like, Oh dang, there ain't even white with ladies here. And I remember sitting down with you and Jabber and that was like your guys' first comment. You're like, Oh, hey, look, there is a girl here. Like, and I think that, like, I admire the two of you because you're really good at, like, using humor, you know, in, like, a social justice way as well. I think there's a lot of different pathways of, like, how we can be advocates. Um, and I know that was, like, a moment for me of, like, yeah, just kind of being seen and, like, naming that hazard immediately really made me feel just, like, a lot better hanging out with, like, the two of you and feeling like I had some, like, people who just got it in that space. Um, so, yeah, thank you for those years ago. I really, really appreciated that. And then I think on the flip end, too, like, these experiences in many other ways are a superpower in the backcountry. Because I think when we look at incredibly complex and confusing hazards, and let's be real, avalanches are one of like the most nuanced, interesting sciences out there, that ability to hold complexity and that ability to listen and that ability to ask questions and be critical and come away with like conclusions that are not, you know, finite and be able to like look at things in a different lens is again why I admire these two so much and kind of being able to help me think about how to be in the mountains in a different way. So I think, you know, you can look at the statistics for sure, but I think valuing those like soft skills and like valuing nuance and complexity, um, while in some ways it's like a barrier to entry in one path, I think that for me, it's the thing I'm stacking my cards on the most moving forward. It's really where I'm investing energy. And don't get me wrong, I'm like pursuing more education. I took my like pro one this winter, love looking at snow crystals and things like that. Um, but that science can't like save us, right? That like traditional, like white minded, 
like sort of like settler colonialist science doesn't have the answers. And so I think like trying to look for different, even ways of thinking has been the biggest shift for me in the last three years. That's been the difference between like pulling my hair out in the gym with Laura of being like, huh, I need to like rethink everything right now. Like I can't just have the answers of why those tracks are safe, right? Like they don't exist. Like what is at the core? Like, why am I doing this from the start? Um, And then being able to like piece it together. I, I agree with all of that, Soph, and um, what that's kind of brought up for me and kind of the trajectory of this micro conversation is, and then coming back to meeting in the mountains, um, is Vanessa's perspective of not having grown up skiing is very different than mine. Like my grandparents were skiers. My grandparents were involved in the founding of Snowbird, like um my dad's whole family skied i don't remember learning how to ski and to me skiing is the path of least resistance um and so being surrounded by people who come into this space and are like i'm actively choosing to do this thing that's dangerous (laughs) right and like is hard and cold and like there's all sorts of privilege involved with getting to choose to put yourself in dangerous situations um, has caused me to take a step back and think about why I like to go to the mountains because before that and before meeting either of you and working at Coombs, it was just inherent, right? And I think there's, it actually takes work to stop and think about why you're doing this thing and that was the beginning of your talk was thinking about you know why do we go to the mountains and every day that might look different right some days it might be for mental health some day it might be for physical health some days it might be for social connection but then it also might be for um skill building or all these other things that relate to society in different ways but unless we really stop and think about what those are especially for many of us who skiing or i don't know probably on the scheme of the world the very few of us (laughs) but in jackson it feels like many of us (laughs) but (laughs) um (laughs) that that skiing is almost the path of least resistance you know i think it's really valuable and it's been really important to me to have that check of like wait why are you doing this and is this actually what you want to do there's a lot of engineers listening in boston right now who are just (laughs) baffled by that statement (laughs) (laughs) but no i think answering the why is important and and the why changes i like that you said that because the why could be physical fitness one day and the next day could be mental health and i think I think the narrative is changing on the why and and what acceptable answers are for the why. Because I think there had to be just like one reason, which is the old the old way of things. Now it's like, I just went skiing because it was fun. Or I went skiing because I need to lose 20 pounds. So I guess I just got to keep walking up this mountain until it hopefully falls off me. Or like, I had a bad day and I'm sad and this makes me happy. Like... The why can constantly change. I think that's okay. I guess my question is, does working in the mountains 
within the mountains change how you approach the mountains? Bonnie, I'd be interested to hear from you, right? Because I think in your trajectory, you went from being like new to the mountains to in many ways working in the mountains with filming and writing and photography really quickly. Like how has that showed up for you? Yeah, I think my immediate response is no, I don't think working in the mountains changes my relationship to the mountains. I think it it's all so deeply connected and it like informs itself, you know? And I think it's just a byproduct of, of who I am and what I'm trying to create. And I think that I very purposefully and intentionally place myself in these spaces like Jackson, where access to skiing and to professional skiers is really, really easy um, because I think it's important to try to change the space. And I'm a huge believer of like, creating access for myself is the first step in creating access for me and my communities. And so that's what I'm really focused on. Um, and it's working, right? I think it's like, it's really cool to see sort of the chain effect that this has, even just like grassroots, like on Instagram, just me sharing stories or like just talking about skiing in Spanish because we don't really have a language for it because we don't have snow in South America in most parts. And yeah, I think it's been, it's been really cool to see you know, I've, I've been so afraid of taking up space because I don't belong, obviously, like every part of me just screams like, no. Um, but it's been really cool to just be brave and do it anyways and make it my career because I think it's, yeah, I think it, it gives me, it reminds me that what I'm doing is not, is not really about me. And that gives me the bravery to do it because I know that I'm doing it for entire communities of people who, see what's possible through me. Um, and in that, like that really fuels me to keep going and work harder. And yeah, I think it's like, it's interesting too. Cause like I, I'm, I'm simultaneously holding space for like, I am a woman of color in skiing and I'm not that good of, at skiing because I didn't have access and I don't need to be good in order to belong, but also chasing this like, okay, but I want to be really good and I want to, you know, ski the grand and I want to do all these big things. Um, and yeah, just trying to hold space for both, I think, trying to navigate that. I personally enjoy that the, to use your words, you don't have to be good to like take up, like hold space in a certain sport activity. And I think we've really seen that shift. And I, I do believe there are people in the outdoor space that just take up space and they're bad at it and they take money and they just that they're cash grab and they disappear, but I think they'll come and go. And I, I'm really loving this, this narrative of like, you don't have to be the world's greatest skier to have influence and to have a voice and to be a leader. And like, I mean, I host a podcast, like I'm not, like I'm not the world's best podcast host, but like I have a voice and I do this every week and I bring people on and have conversations and I, that's my favorite thing. I think that's happening right now. My favorite trend. And I, again, I do think people take advantage of it and I think we're starting to flush those people out, but like the idea that you have to be great at something to have a opinion or a voice, arguably you talking about a ski is probably way more relevant 
than Sophia talking about a ski because like I can't <laughs> pressure a ski like she can. I can probably pressure it like you can. So, yeah. And I, I, I don't know. I just think that should be like celebrated a little more. And there's always hardos on the internet. There's like, that's part of it. And that's all will always be a part of it. But having mm-hmm. Cody Townsend tell me how great that boot is that I can't flex doesn't do anything for me. And I love Cody. Like I'm not Cody. You can just bully Cody cause he's Cody, but does that make sense? Like it, I think your voice is arguably more important than a quote unquote pro skiers voice or arguably as important because mm-hmm. you're one of us in some yeah. ways. <laughs> right? Yeah, no. <laughs> in some ways. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> You're a white male now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, and, and a good friend, Danny Reyes Acosta, actually taught me this early on of like, there's just different ways of furthering the sport, right? Like, I love skiing and I'm so committed to making skiing a better place. And I'm not doing that by putting down like, fastest known times or, you know, anything like that, but I am creating space for more people. I am being vulnerable and showing people that, yeah, I learned when I was 22 and I fell and I fell in a movie a bunch of times and it was embarrassing, but also super real and something that people can connect with. Right. And I think, yeah, like I'm committed to making skiing a better place through just like pushing this door that doesn't want to let me in. But as soon as it lets me in, I like knock it down and bring all my people with me. And like, if that's not a pro skier, then I don't know what is, you know? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I think that's well put. Cause I think thinking of back to your question of how has working in the mountains changed being in the mountains. And I was trying to like, be like, how did it change? And then I liked how you were like, it hasn't. And I was like, oh yeah, good. Okay. It hasn't. <laughs> I was like, there's, there's the same. They're good. I can, that can be an answer, but I really relate to your answer, Vanessa, in that, um, I think a lot of my pursuit in coming to Jackson was very internal, I guess, and for my own personal growth. And I wanted to be a pro skier um, and is very individual. And then I started working at Coombs and then started guiding and teaching avalanche courses. And it, I even kind of started guiding and teaching because I wanted to become an expert and gain that knowledge and gain access to people who were knowing when it was safe to ski those things. Um, and I, I mean, that certainly helped in my own individual pursuits in the mountains, but what it has changed is that I found so much more meaning in the people and being able to share that with other people and realizing what I care about in the mountains, isn't this individual pursuit of, did I get to ski this objective or learn this new skill, but I can have just as good of a day with sharing that joy of someone doing something for the first time, or even just a mellow ski tour with my friends, um, then I, I think I would have. And so my just priorities have changed, I think. And maybe I'm just getting older too. That could be <laughs> something. Yeah. But I think that's true. I think those like tangible objectives, cause I'm with you, Vane as well, holding space of both like, always wanting to improve and always wanting to be better because like that little bit of like pit 
never gets filled, right? Like I remember watching my runs on the US ski team in World Cup and being like, oh, I'm so disappointed in that like left-hand pull plant. <laughs> like it's ugly and I hate it, <laughs> you know? Um, and I think even now, like I'm so critical of like my own photos and like that like perfectionism in skiing. And like, if I just reach that like one step better or this other thing, like I'll be happy or I'll be proud of myself. Um, and I think like having a really long career and having this career in like mogul skiing and like really competitive, like super objective, like check marky thing. And then coming into like big mountain and also having like these really like tangible like goals or things like that. I think that like that pit never gets full. And so there are moments that I'm like proud of. Right. And I think we all have those and those all look different upon different parts of our journey. Right. And I can say like landing my first crummy backflip on snow, I was probably infinitely more proud of than landing a perfect backflip on snow. And so that scale is always sliding and we're like always in it. Um, and so, yeah, I think to like Laura's point of like having different ways to like fill that bucket and to like find the like love of what you're doing. And I love hanging out with a lot of pro skiers and also like a lot of pro skiers I know hate skiing, <laughs> you know, I joke sometimes the way, like the best way to keep loving skiing is not to be pro. But I think that what it does do is it opens doors to experiences, right? And I think that's like, again, something access that we're all like looking for. We're all looking for that moment of wonder and awe of getting to do something for the first time, whether it's like clicking in on skis and like figuring out what like snow is even about and how like you're going to control the two weird things strapped to your feet um, and finding that moment of like linking turns down a green slope where you're like, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. Or if it's being like, what does the view look like from the top of the mountain? Like I want to be on top of the grant and like look down and see what the valley floor looks like. So I think that like that is like so through it, but what we see rewarded so often is only one side of it. And I'm like so stoked that that's changing into your point X that like these conversations are changing as well. And as mentioned prior to even getting into this episode, everyone you're listening to right now is a Fisher athlete, which is a testament to who they are, who Fisher is as a brand, who they support, the people they support, and you know, their products are great, so it makes it even easier for me. I want to tell you all about this boot, the Fisher RC4. It's got the boa. If you haven't put it on your foot, put it on your foot. I'm so sick of people bashing on Boa who haven't even tried it. I'm not saying it's for everyone, but it might be for you. So try it. Go to your local detail or detailer, your local retailer. Tell them you want to put on a Fisher RC4 Boa. Comes with a zip fit, folks. The greatest hack you can do to any boot is adding a zip fit. Instant heel hold, instant heel lock. Comes stock with the Fisher RC4. It's got all the bells and whistles. Pair it with my favorite ski in the mix, the Ranger 102, and you've got a quiver killer. You've got everything. You can ski the glades. You can ski on rocks. You can ski on grass. You can ski groomers. The Ranger 102 is the master of all, even with me skiing it. That's how great that ski is. That thing makes me look good, and it can make you look good, too. Head to fishersports.com. Again, support people who support us. Everyone on this podcast is a Fisher athlete, and I cannot thank them enough for the support. Again, local retailer, 
get a Fisher Ranger, put the boa boot on your foot, folks, get the Ranger 102, put a gold pivot on it for heck's sake. I'll see you soon. Yeah, it's, you know, someone asked me recently, like, how are we going to change anything? And one, I was like, I don't know. I don't have the answers. But two, it's conversations. It's skin track conversations. It's being a little vulnerable, like letting your guard down. And I think ski touring has taught me that more than anything is just being vulnerable and being like you're relying on that person for safety or people. If you know, however you're going with, but even like, Hey, I'm dizzy. Like it's something as simple. Like you're not okay. If you're not okay, you're not okay. But you have to communicate that, which I had a really hard time doing, but that's my little tangent here is like conversations and the conversations I've had in the skin track have helped me just be a better human in general, because I'm a little more vulnerable my partner might disagree, but like, it takes me a minute to get there. But when I get there, I'm like, okay, this is my issue or this is, and I've learned that more from something as simple as skiing or walking up a mountain than like any other aspect of my life to this point. I, that brings to mind, um, I recently started with the help of both of these people next to me, um, a youth backcountry ski program with the organization I work for. And at the beginning of, and basically the gist of it is we meet once a week, we skin up snow King with Vanessa and Sophia (laughs) Um, and the kids get to practice, you know, the doing of the thing. Um, and then a couple weekends out of the year, we go touring in the backcountry with guides and they get the kids get to do a their level one certification and on the first day at the beginning of the program I was sitting with them and we were talking about what to expect out of the program and I was just kind of like in the over the course of learning how to backcountry ski you as a young adult will be learning all of these things that translate into the rest of your life you're going to be learning communication you're going to be learning responsibility. You're going to be how to take care of your gear, right? And being responsible for yourself. You're going to have to be a part of the group conversation. Um, You're going to have to make some decisions for yourself. You're going to have to make sacrifices. And in just the like doing of the thing, you learn all these things that I don't think I learned until like after college, maybe like how to do a lot of that communicating. Um, And it was really cool to see that already halfway through the season start to take place of after just one weekend in the backcountry of them feeling that confidence of what they learned from their mentors on Snow King to translating that into this backcountry setting and then coming back from that. And they beat me to practice. Like they were there before I was, (laughs) and they were like texting me and asking me questions, you know, without being prompted um, and so already that responsibility and communication just after one like weekend in the backcountry showed up. And I just think that's the best um, example of how how skiing translates to the rest of our lives. And that like kind of the, the depth of the meaning of it, of like the why <laughs> do we do it kind of thing. Yeah, it's 
I don't know. It, I mean, congrats on starting a program because it's terrifying. And I know that's kind of like what you're doing anyway. But to actually like set up a youth program and do it is a whole nother world. So congrats on that because it's terrifying. And if I get to snow, if I get out there this year, I'll come do a lap with you at Snow King. But you guys have to wait. Well, I had a lot of help, so it's <laughs> nice when you have support. <laughs> but I just yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's it's a place for me the skin track that I never thought I would find so many things. Is that sure? Yeah. And I think we always talk about like emotional skills and like emotional safety as this like mystery box, right? Like you're like, okay, I'm going to take a first aid class and now I know gauze and how to wrap and how to, you know, like stabilize something. I have like physical safety or whatever. Um, and I think like emotional safety is like a real skill and a learned skill, you know? And I think that like, yeah, one thing I'm really proud of and why these two are such important touring partners for me when I go to do a jet like big objectives is like knowing they have that skill set right and prioritize that skill set um and so i think practicing it right like practicing being like okay what questions am i going to craft in the car to like set the tone for this and being like oh i'm gonna like check in with people and ask like what kind of support do you need today right or like What's your gut check? Like, what are things that like need to go well for you to feel your best? Like, what are your hesitations? Like, what are your, you know, like those kind of conversations. Um, so I guess maybe I'll pass it to you guys, but I think like one reason I was excited to share this conversation with you two is a lot of the meaning in the mountain talk was like, okay, you can get all the hard skills. Like, how are you investing in your soft skills? So like, what are, I think you were both competent legit confident at creating emotional safety. What are things that you like practice like tangibly? Yeah, I think um, it's funny because it, this is where I flipped the script, right? Like I didn't ski when I was two, but I don't remember ever having to learn emotional safety or competence <laughs> because like communities of color, that's our jam. Like this is our language, right? And I think like growing up as a woman of color, I've always been just like, such an empath and so sensitive to other people and taking care of other people to the point where it's like a detriment. But I think it's also one of my superpowers. And that's, um, I think, a really cool thing about our mentorship for all of us, because it's reciprocal, right? Like I, Sophia and Laura teach me all these mountain skills, but I in return have something to offer. And it's something that I think about a lot with like the mentorship model that we often think about, like, the mentee as this empty vessel just waiting to be filled with knowledge but it's also like no we we all hold knowledge and when it's an exchange it creates something really beautiful and fun um yeah so i think just for me like creating space for emotional safety just means diversifying who you go out with right and like picking partners that might not be your traditional partners and testing them out which i know is something that you both do and you're really good at yeah, I, that's such a good answer and it, like is totally true <laughs> for you. Um, I don't have, I don't know. Yeah. I think, I guess maybe I would attribute it to my mom being a therapist <laughs> like, <laughs> and that, and I, and maybe even more so um, a yoga, a yogi, <laughs> a yoga instructor and um, having, I guess, just mindfulness in my household and valuing being mindful. And I think that also contributes to being able to really pinpoint 
where this meaning in the mountains for me comes from. Um, and just having some overall mindfulness practices that can help ground me to the people I'm with or the thing that I'm doing. Um, Nice. You know, the funniest takeaway from this has been a lot of men in their 50s have been like, I never thought about how fast I walk up a skid track and the fact that I ditched my partner. And I was like, that was like a slide in the talk is basically like the idea that you just watch parties walk by like one person is way out in front. And you're like, wait, are they even like friends? Like, how do you communicate if you're physical distance is so far apart that you can't even talk. Um, and that's been a funny one, but I feel like I'm totally on the opposite end of the spectrum of I'm just like a pragmatic nerd and I don't even like share how many like checklists and like things I have, (laughs) but I feel like pacing for me is like one for sure where I'm like, okay, I'm going to start the pace and prove that we can walk at a slower pace than we need to. And then we're going to switch and I'm going to let them go in front after our first water break. And then I'm going to go back in front (laughs) for this section. And then I'm going to let them go in front for like this section so that they feel empowered and they have to make decisions. They're going to ask things. Um, That's so funny. But I feel like I like come in with like a big checklist of being like, okay, what do I think is going to be the hardest part of someone's day? And I'm going to ask them about it early in the day to see if I can like name it and acknowledge it. Um, And then I'm going to ask them like, yeah, how do they want support today? I'm going to ask them a little bit about like pacing, what skills they want feedback on, what skills they actually feel really capable on. Um, So it's funny. I feel like I have a long checklist. (laughs) I like that you said pacing though. (laughs) <laughs> pacing is a good one I guess thinking more like on a day-to-day basis what do I do to kind of emotionally yeah check in with people um and I think to me a lot of knowledge I guess bring is empowerment and so I just try and teach a lot and not just either spew or make the decisions but explain why we're maybe doing something or Um, how to do something and that way that person can make that decision for themselves and be fully informed and maybe that's getting back to like actually understanding the risk that you're taking Um, and so I think yeah I think knowledge and learning gives a lot of empowerment to to take your own your own make your own decisions Mm -hmm. just a reminder this is part one of a two-part episode again i broke it up because i wanted to i don't know i want you to to retain the information so part two comes out next week stay tuned uh have the best day of your life happy valentine's day folks